we are going to look at one of the great passages that pastors love to preach on, the fellowship of the early church, uh, the, the life that the early church experienced, and uh, it is a delight to, uh, to sort of camp here and look at this passage. Acts 2.42 is uh, where we're going to start, and uh, this beautiful summary of church life that the author Luke uh, gives us, who is the author of, of Acts, the human author, and it's a summary of church life, and he gives about five or six of these actually throughout the book of Acts, and kind of gives us updates on how the church is doing. Uh, I'm glad to be with you. I'm glad that we are here. Um, your presence here does a work for me personally. You contribute to my life. You speak into my life. You have sung into my life this morning. You are helping me. Uh, I cannot live the Christian life without you. Um, and the body of Christ is a very special thing. And uh, we're going to talk about that today. Life in the church. We live in a highly individualistic age. We have all grown up with that diet. We speak the language of individualism. We are overcoming that. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are overcoming the idea that you are spectating in life, right? We come and interact. I go to the mall. I don't have a relationship with the mall. I don't... Uh, I go to the mall to buy something and then to leave. Uh, I don't think much about the mall until I need the mall, right? Uh, same thing with movie theaters, right? I don't have a, you know, they, I guess they try to give you these club cards or whatever. You, you know, if you watch 340 movies, you get some free popcorn or something. But they try, they try. Right? Have you noticed this among businesses that they're all trying? Everybody has club points. Everybody has, and you're a member. Isn't that special? Don't you feel special that you're, you know, actually, this is absolutely true. That there's, uh, is it Biscoff cookies, the, the ones they give you on the planes, right? Those are wonderful, I, wonderful cookies. And I actually, I want to tell you, this is absolutely true. I, I st- you know, you get bored on airplane flights. I don't know if you're, you know, you're, you're just up there, you're oxygen deprived, and you're, you read anything, even the emergency, you know, thing. Those are important. But, uh, the, you know, you, you know, so that's how a seatbelt works. Anyway, so um, and so, I remember reading the label of the cook, the the cookie, the detail where it was baked, where it was from, the cookies, and there's actually a Biscoff cookie club, and I I went online and I joined it. <laughs> so I am consuming these cookies like crazy because I want free ones, you know. So I just say all that to say there is this need out there at least cons- we want to consume our way into into community right or something like that it's crazy we were all raised with the diet of individualism and individualism kills kills life in the church and what we're seeing here is the spontaneous life that's developed in the church as Jesus has been raised, ascended on high, he's really the king. 
He preached he he is the preacher, the voice, the authority through through Peter. Peter preaches a great sermon and and the spirit takes a hold of those words and applies them to people's hearts. Even some who participated in the death of Jesus are there and and with the power of the Spirit, God forms a new community of people, a new Israel of his people. And they have heard, uh, they, these were travelers, pilgrims coming for the festival of, of Pentecost, and they have heard their own languages, their own, own regional languages from various places around the Mediterranean, and they have been drawn in by this connection that they've had with they hear the gospel in their own language, and they've been curious as to what's going on. Peter replies it to them by saying, the days, the great days of the last days have arrived, days of blessing, days of blessing. And then they also hear that it really is the world's last hour, and that the great and terrible day of the Lord is approaching. This is a theme also in the book of Acts. Paul brings us up to the Athenians in Acts 17, and that God has fixed a day whereby he will judge all peoples but through his Son. And so the great day of blessing is that the Spirit has been poured out. The Messianic age has begun. Jesus is king over his kingdom. And how do we know that he's king? Because he is converting his enemies. How do we know Jesus is king? He's active with his powerful word, and his word shapes his people. His word creates his people. His word is powerful to shape community in a highly individualistic age. Do you know they've actually done studies with uh, the isolationism that comes from individualism. People are highly isolated. Uh, suburban life, suburban life, uh, started in the 1950s in the United States. Suburban life actually leads to increased isolation. It used to be that you would uh, you would live downtown, closer to town, and that the designers of the cities and towns would uh, would design the city in such a way that you could walk to get your groceries, walk to the library, walk and walk, and you'd interact with people. Now it's all cars and automatic garage doors. So when you come home, you put the garage door in and don't have to interact with with these people we call neighbors, and we use that term rather loosely, don't we? Are they my neighbors? Are my friends on Facebook really my friends? Isn't that impressive to have 4,000 friends or however many you have? Really? Those are your friends? They're not your friends. They're sort of friends. They are the friends who receive your edited versions of yourself. Facebook is for fish tacos. Take a picture, send it to your friends. Facebook is not where you're going to develop community. There's no such thing as an online community. Really? Truly? Uh, I don't think so. Life in the church is where you are going to grow in your sanctification. We cannot determine who comes through those doors. And some people will be very difficult to love. You assume you're easy to love, don't you? I do. And then people interact with me and they go, hey, that guy, hard to love. And it's for God's good purposes have the church as a collection of ragtag individuals. 
And we can't control who comes to the door, and we wouldn't want to because God in his sovereignty is leading his church and building his church. And there's all kinds of quirky folks. Join the club. That's the club. We're all quirky. We're all just a ragtag group of people. We're all strugglers. We're all in need. We have no superiority over anyone. And we're all humbled, and the, gr- the ground at the cross is level. There's no place for superiority. We all have an intense need for Jesus. And, uh, and from that, Jesus forms his church. And, uh, and he's the king. And so what we're seeing here is the effects of Jesus as king. And what, he, what, what does he do? He forms, he forms community. He forms community. In verse, 20, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay? Let me just expound on that a little bit. These are believers. Uh, they trust in Jesus. Why do they need continual teaching? Because their hearts wander, they forget the gospel. Uh, the gospel is uh, an ever, ever-present need for us. Uh, my heart wanders. I have God's substitutes. And so to devote yourself to the apostles' teaching is to acknowledge that your heart wanders and you need your heart to be filled with awe continually. Continually. And of course you need to learn God's will and learn to delight in God's will. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Imagine that training. Training in the gospel. Training in Jesus as the center of all the scriptures. Uh, and, and to the fellowship. Look at the second thing. It's sort of a profile of what it looks like to be in community. It's sort of the profile. What does it look like to fellowship? Um, there was a lot of use of the home. The home. They, would, they didn't likely have a fellowship hall that they rented out. Uh, they had homes. And the home is where you opened, they opened up their house, their life to others. And the gospel is on display. Um, the gospel sort of lived out. It's not sort of put in some formal setting. Perhaps you may feel like it's a bit formal. It's, it's more informal. It's more natural. It's more, in a sense, more accessible to fellowship. Fellowship. Uh, fellowship is blood-bought. When we have fellowship and we encounter each other and embrace each other and express love and honor each other, it is, per- it is a purchased community by Jesus' blood. Fellowship. Here's the idea. You can have a church that is doctrinally precise and relationally sterile. You can have a church that is beautifully delineated by its theological precision. But what is missing is that what we are, how we are to grow is not only, sure, doctrine, the intellectual content, the, 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 the content of our faith, but the gospel forms a culture. Wherever the gospel is rightly understood, a culture is being formed. A relational culture is being formed. That's what's going on here. Devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And to the breaking of bread. Most commentators are believing that they regularly met and they celebrated the Lord's Supper. 
the breaking of bread is distinguished here from fellowship. And so this is called a Eucharistic meal. It may have also included other food, but it also was highlighted by the, the Lord's the, the bread and the cup. And then the prayers. And this one I find to be intriguing. Uh, prayer. Uh, prayer. Um, I'll, do you know why you might resist if someone wants to, if someone's calling a prayer meeting in the church? You know why, one of the reasons why you might resist that? There's many. First of all, we don't value it or we don't see the need for it or it's just another thing in our schedule that, that we might perceive it that way. But prayer... If you're really engaged in prayer, it's actually a revelation of yourself. It's a revealing of your heart. Uh, it, eventually, you begin to pray, and you begin to really share your fears, your anxieties, your worries. It's a prayer in the, in the life in the church is a way of becoming known. See? And I hope that we have a, an atmosphere, an environment, a culture here where you feel that you could be known you could be known. See? There's so much hiding going on, and in that hiding we are isolated and, and we are dying in, in, in a way. And so prayer is a re- revelation of our need among the community. So if you pray with someone, they get to know you, and you are, you, you are revealed to the group or, or the individual you're, you're praying with. And verse 43 it just it it preaches by itself, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. A unique gift, the gift of an apostle, a unique office. Uh, we believe here that that was, uh, and the apostolic office was unique to the first century, and uh, there are miracles that are performed through the apostles in order to bolster the word of God, in order to, to, to sort of set the stage for the word of God to be heard. And so what a, what a remarkable experience they're having. In verse 44, it's sort of another descriptor. And all who believed, I love this, were together. <laughs> you can have a lot of people gathered, and perhaps they believe the same thing, but they're not together I love how Luke put that there, at least the English translation. All who believed were together. This meant the whole of their life is together. Not just a segment of their life. And had all things in common, verse 44. So there's not a commandment uh, in Scripture for you to give your neighbor your weed whacker or your lawnmower. But this is the kind of thing that would be an application for our day, that if you have a tool, you have a ladder, you have something to share with uh, someone in the fellowship, it's a mutual sharing of uh, those of you with trucks. You always know people want to borrow your truck, right? I've got to move a couch, right? Uh, those of you with trucks, you know what this is about. But there's a, there's, a, there's a common life, you see, common life being nurtured here, common life. And then it goes beyond this, verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. So there was a community uh, pooling of money, of things that they, uh, they just 
got rid of and, and, and sold. And so there was a collection of money. And then there were people, obviously, who needed help, needed, needed money for food, etc. And so they owned the needs in, in the body of Christ. This is all spontaneous. It's all uh, interrelational. They are learning to grow and become God's people. And then Luke continues on, verse 46, and day by day, here is sort of the practice of the early church. If that wasn't enough, here's the practice. Attending the temple together, by the way, that was the center of Jerusalem. That's where everyone hung out. That's where you'd find people. And, of course, they are looking to start conversations about Jesus there. Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. There is a community being impacted by this joy. And they are praising God. Now we're moving into more of the worship of these people. They are regularly worshiping and having favor with all the people. And then the Lord blesses this humble gathering, this church with the culture, a gospel-shaped culture of grace. God blesses this group of people, be adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. He forms this countercultural community by the word from heaven, and he blesses these people and blesses his church. And the parallel really is Israel in the Old Testament coming out of Egypt, growing in numbers as they travel through the wilderness and enter the promised land, growing in numbers. God is blessing his, his new Israel. Now, um, God is desiring to shape this our hearts in such a way that we would desire this kind of 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 life together um, it is going to take uh, the renewal of the heart first and foremost i do not want to put any pressure on you just to put sort of guilt on you hey get involved with each other and uh you know spend time with one another this needs to be a spontaneous desire that is 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 delightful for you this will lead to difficulties and hardships and disappointments some of you are here you're familiar with this you may have an idealized view of this uh, in other words you see this as idealistic and it's not that realistic like you sort of settled with well i know what life in the church is all about i'll contribute a little bit i'll come on sunday i'll do my part but it's hard for me to give my heart to the life of the church. First, there may be hurt. There may be uh, some wound that's there, and there is now a sort of a self-protective uh, view of, of how I'm going to live within the body of Christ. Other people sort of super-spiritualize uh, the idea of God and that they, they sort of say, well, God meets my needs. I have my Bible and they sort of have a, an arm's length view of life in the church. And they will send to you the message of, well, God is more than adequate for me. And I don't really need to you know, uh, confess my struggles with someone else. I, I, I have God for that. 
So we, we are, all of us are recovering from an individualistic and even a wounded experience among God's, God's people. But what I want to stress to you as I just kind of can reflect on this passage is that one of the most remarkable things I've observed about the ministry of Jesus is of, as he concludes his, his life on earth and as he finishes up his instruction with his disciples, he increasingly talks about a subject that is almost not talked about at all in the church. He talks about the subject of friendship. He talks about the idea that he is giving his life for his friends. And toward the end of his life, the last teaching sections of, of the Gospels, the subject of friendship comes up. Now, I took uh, theological classes in seminary, and you know, not one of those classes, in fact, none of my theological textbooks have that as a subject, friendship. Friendship building, friendship making, friendship pursuing is, is actually one of the more important skills or responses to the gospel that we can engage in, building friends. And here is the problem. The problem is this, is that I don't know at what stage in life you are, because I see a, a very, very, various stages out here, but the odds are, even if you're in your 20s, the odds are that you are pretty well settled on the friends you have. And I hope you do have some friends. That's great. You are not actually thinking. I, don't, I could be wrong. Tell me about this afterwards. You're not actually thinking, I need to build friends. I need to, I need to, I need to create more friends. I need to reach out. When was the last time you, you said that to yourself or to, to your spouse if you're married? It's not a need that we have. We have some friends from high school. We have some friends we call, see on social media. We have, we're pretty okay with that. One of the most important things we can do is sort of the soft, the soft skill. It's not like a skill that an engineer has, right, with, with all that they do. It's a soft skill. It's a relational skill. It is the skill of desiring to interact and to build a friend. You may not feel like you need one, but this is what God is calling you to do. I'll tell you one of them. I've been involved in church work for a while, and I've heard a lot of announcements. And the best announcement I ever heard, this is the absolute best announcement I ever heard, was in a, uh, a PCA church in Washington, D.C., and it was an evening service because that's the only time they could be in this building. And someone got up in front, and they said this. They said, hey, um, I used to be uh, an outsider here. And uh, now I'm an insider. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out for Chinese food afterwards, and I want all of you who are feeling like you're an outsider to come and join me. And so we're going to go get Chinese food. It's just right around the corner. Would you join me? Uh, and I want you quickly and soon to become an insider. So would you join me? I'll be in the back of the foyer. Please come join me. That, that was it. The coolest announcement I've ever heard in church. That was... A spirit-driven, relationally strategic, heartfelt desire. Just I want to get to know you. See, and at any, at all times in the church, we should be aware that people are, especially if they're new, relatively new, they are conscious of being and feeling new, and we want that to sort of go away. We want them to feel like they belong. Okay. 
And what's remarkable is this, is when a person reflects upon their church experience, let's say they're new and now they're reflecting a couple years later, and maybe they're in some sort of time when there's a time of reflection, and it, it, it is the number one thing people say when they reflect upon us, how they were brought in, they reflect upon their first few experiences with being welcomed and being loved. They reflect upon how they were brought in and they were welcomed and they were cared for and they were loved. I've seen it with teenagers. I've seen it with adults. It is that first moment when they are outwardly looking like confident and feeling like, okay, I'm going to try this. But it takes a long time, perhaps, for them to feel like they really belong. What can we do? Pray, ask God to begin to move in your heart to love those you don't know. To extend a welcome, a greeting, an invite to go get coffee, something at your house. I'm going to Costco. Could you join me? Begin to enfold and welcome them just as a friend. It is one of the most practical and important things you could do. And I hope this doesn't feel like, oh, it's just one more thing to add to my schedule. I hope you feel and sense this is, this is moving in and with the Spirit. I'll wrap up with this, with this thought. Uh, yesterday morning, I was in San Jose Airport, and uh, the TSA line was, was crazy. It was, looked like Thanksgiving. I mean, it was out of control. It was a full hour to get through the uh, x-ray and all that stuff, and a full hour. I noticed everyone was miserable. Everyone's cranky, and they haven't even started their flight yet, right? So, um, and I, I try to get to know the people around me if they want to get to know me. Uh, and so we, you know, kind of build friendships. And if it's a long flight, I'll turn to the person next to me and I'll say, uh, we're going to be friends after this, okay? <laughs> this is kind of a funny thing to say. I think it's funny. So, uh, uh, so, um, there's a technique you can use. I want to give you this technique. Um, there's a technique you can use where you don't have to deal with anyone else's luggage. Uh, you get up first, right? You know how people are bolting out of the planes, right? So you get up first, get away from your, your aisle, and step up about three feet. Get your stuff, and then just stand there and look forward. And you don't have to l- deal with anybody else, right? But if you stay in your area where your seats are, then those who are sitting with you will, especially if you're somewhat tall, they'll ask you to do what? Help you with their luggage, right? So if you step up ahead, they can't ask you that anymore, see? You don't need to deal with their needs, right? You're all looking at me, well, that's kind of cruel. You're a weird thinker. Here's my point, is how can I enhance their, how can I enhance their airline experience? How can I make this a better deal, right? How can I have them know that they had a friend with them flying next to them so what I do is I stand and I wait there open up things and then I begin to ask people now is this your bag is this your bag right right other people do this right other people do this and they enhance the experience of a person who's looking for a friend to carry their burden right to carry their burden 
That's what life in, is in the church. We are carrying each other's burdens. We are standing in the, we're not moving ahead in the, in the aisle. We're staying where we, where we sat, and we're helping those that we got to know. It's a beautiful thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's the call of the gospel. And we're going to explore more about this beautiful description of the early church and explore more next week. But uh, let's ask our God to bless his word as we've heard it this morning. Lord, you have created uh, a people who reflect this gospel. Father, help us uh, create a gospel culture of grace, of bearing each other's burdens. Uh, Father, help us to not to not be, to to fall short of believing that we can make a difference. Father, help us to even if we feel like we have all the friends we need to love the formation of new friendships, to believe we have the capacity for that. Father, grant to us, Lord, if we're introverted, help us to, to believe that we, 